Welcome to Women Who Push the Limits. Are you ready to find your voice, speak your truth, and change the world? Then you'll be glad you joined us for this amazing conversation. So let's get right into today's episode. Here's your host, Lynn Murphy. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Women Who Push the Limits. I'm Lynn Murphy, your host. And it is such a pleasure today to introduce you to a guest who has such high energy. You are going to love this interview today. We're, we're here chatting with Sandra D. Robinson, who for decades had a very successful career in television. I know you've seen her. She's been, had starring roles in Another World, The Bold and Beautiful, General Hospital, and the list goes on. And she's had, had guest appearances on some of my favorite shows, I know, CSI Miami, Criminal Minds, and Two and a Half Men. I mean, wasn't that a fun show? <laughs> and then she created a business in 2010 that is called Charisma on Camera. So she's a performance coach and she works with business owners, experts, and celebrities like herself to perfect their presentation and on-camera skills. And this earned her the nickname of the Charisma Coach. <laughs> she is absolutely charismatic. And then in 2017, she founded a business called Charismatic Cowgirl, which is equine assisted coaching programs. So she's working with her clients in those areas. You're going to love this today. Sandra D, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be so much fun. And thank you for that great intro. I love it. We always, you know, honestly, the reality is we give intros to people, but when you actually make it your own, it makes me like all, all happy inside. I'm like, oh, that's great. Well, <laughs> I'm you. so excited to be in interviewing you today and having this conversation. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you I for know, doing it. Well, you are a woman who has pushed the limits. At an early age, you went to New York, you got into television, and you've made it your own. I mean, those shows that you've been on, the people you've been connected with, phenomenal. You are a star. So tell us, in your words, what does it mean to you to push the limits? And tell us more about you pushing the limits. Pushing the limits, I think if you don't push the limits, if you're not failing, if you're not falling, you're not pushing the limits. And I don't think you can be safe from those things and, and reach what you are designed to be. And I say designed with a capital D. So I think of this because, you know, when I, when my husband, I talked to my husband about this and, and the very first time he puts me on a motorcycle, it's a little dirt bike, right? And he goes, all right, he goes, here we go. And I'm thinking, what if I fall? <laughs> That's how you learn. And the very first day, it wasn't a hard fall, but he's like, whatever you do, don't look at the tree. Bam. If you know anything about how your brain is processing, right? The only thing my brain hurt is look at the tree, right. <laughs> which I promptly hit. So, <laughs> right. That's what happens. Yeah. We right now. Focus on. Yeah. So I got the fall out of the way. And um, within a few minutes, you know, I was, I was having fun and I learned this new skill. And it's the same with the horses. And it's the same with skiing. It's the same with snowboarding. It's the same with, with learning new skills for your business, with getting in Facebook Live and doing videos and getting up on stage and speaking about what you do and delivering your message. It's, it's really all the same. Um, pushing your limits when you, when you want to advance in your career. If you're in a company and you want to advance up the latter. It's the same thing where you have to have those conversations. You need to step into different responsibilities and it's going to feel like you're pushing your limits. It's going to feel like you're pushing your limits. Maybe when you change the people around you, because you are the sum total of the six people you are closest to. If you want to change your life, a lot of times, most of the time, if it's a significant change in your life, you need to change that community that you're around. And that's pushing the limits of your comfort. In fact, you're going to be uncomfortable, but all of those places where I think I look back and probably you can too. And when you look back and you pushed those limits and you went way into discomfort, <laughs> definitely. Um, the other side of that is something that made you so much stronger, so much more of who you are, so much more in aligned in alignment with where you are designed to be. And so I think pushing the limits while some people feel they have to do it every day, like my husband, who's a stunt man, um, he's an adrenaline junkie, but you don't have to be an adrenaline junkie to push the limits. Everybody has a different level of that. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful that for whatever reason I had that fire in me and um, I've kind of always pushed the limits 
even I've, my older siblings will tell me that um, I was like that as a child. And <laughs> at the very young age when I had the opportunity and just enough money from my local modeling to fly me up to New York City, I did something that my family probably would not even understand and they didn't understand. I said, I'm going to New York and I'm going to audition for the summer. And I booked my first job. And then I moved to New York City with my white granny boots and my white clothes because, I mean, if you've ever gone to New York, that's not, that's not no. what people wear. No. <laughs> like, I was like, the, you know, the, the most obvious, where's Waldo, you know? <laughs> which, which one of these doesn't belong here from Sesame Street? That was me. Yeah. So, um, so it was very spotted, right? Yes. Yes. It was very uncomfortable. But had I not done that, you know, every time that you push a limit and you get to the other side, you realize that you're stronger than you thought you were. Yeah. Well, so I understand, Tenor. You were a shy child. I mean, maybe you were pushing the limits, but you were shy. Whatever possessed you to say, "I'm going to be an actor." I had, I had something. I guess it's just a, a, a fire and knowing in me that some of the, let's just say some of the programming that I got from my mother, I knew was wrong. Even if it was at a very subconscious level somewhere, I, I knew that that wasn't right. And I would, I would find a way to feel better. Now, when I say that I would push limits, it was usually with people that I knew very well or, you know, I would stand up for my dreams with somebody that questioned me if it was a family member. I would say, I'm going to do that. And I would get kind of sassy about it. Now, I was shy in that I couldn't see very well. My mother did, a, you know, really not. She, she had me believing that life would be better if I hadn't been born. Those were the actual words that came mm. out of her mouth. And so um, while my father was very loving in his own way, he wasn't around very much. He worked a lot in order to provide for us. And so I had that programming of the other side of my parental um, support that wasn't very supportive. And so I, I was really at a bit of a disadvantage. I didn't know that I had a voice of my own, except when I got angry enough to throw it out. Mm. And, you know, that I'm going to New York and then buying the ticket and driving my little 16-year-old first car, you know, to, to this airport, which I'd never done before you know I mean I would get these little fiery moments and I would act in those moments and I would make things happen and I think sometimes I've now evened out the emotions around that sort of process <laughs> but um that 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 fire that was inside I managed to listen to it and that's it's kind of what I still do I still tap in and I go all right is this is this right is this in alignment with me and even though it's going to be difficult Whatever that, whether it's a step forward into a new direction, starting something new, like a new program, like it was working with the horses, was a dream of mine, but I, I really needed a lot of prompting mm -hmm. to make that, that move. So that comes back to having the right people around you. Make sure that if you have something that you want to do, that they're going to support you. I, I realize the importance of that now, um, especially as, you know, the older I get and, and the more risks I, I find that you need to take in order to get the big changes in your life and, and the impact in the world you want to make. It can be pretty big sometimes. Well, when you come up against the edges of your comfort zone, does it help you to look back and see that you were successful? Oh. You know, how do you get, get past that now? I mean, you've had so many successes. I imagine I have, you've had some a lot failures, of failures too. But <laughs> a lot of failures, yeah, to get there. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I'll tell people. And I believe in looking back and realizing what you've accomplished, especially if you're thinking of making a move to something else. Um, one of my friends actually said that she, she's a coach and she went back through all of her programs and she goes, I did an audit. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, I went back and I looked and thought, what worked, what didn't? Whose idea was it? her ideas that she came up with on her own weren't the things that did the best. It was when she asked the people in her community, what do you want? And she gave them that. Mm -hmm. And so now she knows moving forward, she doesn't feel like she has to push so much. She's going to ask people what they want and then give them what they want. So she did an audit. And sometimes I think doing an audit of what worked for you in the past, what were the, what was the, the aha moments the the earliest one you can think of, what did you accomplish? What, and it could be when you were in grade school. You know, it may be that you got your first, you know, cheerleading opportunity, or you hit your first baseball, or you learned how to ride a bike, or 
what was it that drew you to do that? What, it, what steps did you take? And you may laugh and go, I was a kid. I'm like, no, there were steps that you took. Did you ask for the bike? Did you have training wheels? Did you rely on somebody else? Did you, and what did you do after that? You know, how did it make you feel? What are the strengths you tapped into? And you find those moments throughout your life from your childhood up until adulthood that were those aha moments. And there'll be a theme in there that is how you operate. It's what you tap into for your success. So audit what your successes were and remind yourself of that when you have to make that call that's gonna be the big shift for you or you have to hit the send button on an email that's an application for something, you know, or you're gonna publish on your website for a new program, you're like, ah! You know, it's, it's a big deal to do those things. I do a vision board, a lot of people do, but I also recommend a visual version of this, which is doing a success board. So you have something oh. that symbolizes the things uh, I do my vision boards with post, not with uh, post-its, what do you call them? Thumbtacks, tacks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, so I don't, yes, yeah, so I can remove them. Yeah. So I move them from my vision board when I accomplish it to my success board. Oh, what a great idea. Yes. So then when you feel like I got to push my limits, you look at your success board and go, well, wait a minute. I did that. Okay. Well, what a great idea. It yeah. reminds me of a coach I've worked with for years who, I mean, we didn't do that physically, but when I'd come up against something, she'd say, you know, and I was just, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, I'm really struggling with this. And she'd say, okay, remember when? And she'd take me back to something that was similar. And she says, remember how you handled it then? Mm -hmm. And then look how you've been handling things since. And look how much better you're handling things or whatever the process was. Right. Look how you're doing now. And, you know, I, I'm one, I think a lot of people are, that just, we just go on and it's the next thing and it's the next thing and it's the next thing without looking back, like you're saying, to yeah. kind of celebrate those successes and say, okay, I have come far. And, yeah. and that audit is such a brilliant idea, Sandra. Well, I think a lot of women in particular don't go back and give themselves mm -hmm. the credit. Uh, I, I was raised in a very critical family, and I find that when I speak, I, I connect with a lot of people that were raised in a very critical environment, and that's just not something they were ever taught. They were constantly taught, not good enough, work harder. Like, they never realized that they were successful. Yeah. So that continues as a habit and a way of thinking and a way of being unless you consciously change it, which is why having that vision board and, and having a coach or someone like yourself that would be able to say, hey, you did that before. Um, uh, I was in a business meeting the other day and the person leading it gave a quote that I think is anonymous. I don't think it's attributed to anyone. Um, and he changed it just a bit. But he said, you know, we have all gone through struggles. He says, and the thing to remember for yourself is that your success rate is 100%. That's really nice. Well, and yeah. I've heard something that like, um, you know, there's only failure if you give up. <laughs> yes. Something like that. You know, if you keep going, just yeah. keep going and make adjustments as you go. Yeah. And tenacity is something that I think I have, you know, <laughs> so pushing the limits in a bad way is when I just don't let go. You know, if I, if I want to get something done and I set my mind to it, I will exhaust myself in order to do it. So I will push my physical limits, which again, you know, as you learn and you hurt yourself over these things, <laughs> you start to even those things out and get a little wiser, I think. Mm -hmm. But I see that with my clients too, where I have to say, you need to, you need to take some time off. You need to, you know, even go, go to the doctor and get your heart rate checked because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I burned out my adrenals by not knowing the limits of my body and thinking that I could just keep going. Yeah. And that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous limit. Well, especially when you're so driven and energetic and committed to doing those things, that self-care is really a big piece. And yes. we ignore that. A lot of women more than men. Well, maybe yes. men ignore it too, but, but I know I think women. They do. I think they do. I think they ignore it. But when faced with the fact that they're ignoring it, I think women understand it immediately more mm -hmm. than men. And mm -hmm. I see that when I'm working with the horses. Like in emotional regulation and energy regulation are two of the things that we work with when we're working with the, with the horses in equine-assisted coaching. And um, I, I get a lot of women that burn really hot and then exhaust themselves. They're exhausted at the end of the day. And working with the horses, they get a chance to actually test 
how strong their energy is and be able to pull it back and almost say, like I say, turn the faucet on a little bit, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. So that they get used to doing that instead of just leaving it run full force all the time until it runs out. Tell us more about the equine assisted coaching. I mean, that's fascinating. And to have you talking about that from the standpoint of emotions and energy, I want yeah. to know more. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very fascinating to me. I, it, it's a parallel for me. So I, I grew up being fascinated with acting and actors and performance in a way when I got the opportunity to do it, that was my safe haven. So I spent all those years as an actor studying human behavior, psychology. Why do people react the way that they react to people? And it helps you to actually step into the world of the character that you're playing. So that and studying body language. So that was a big part. But I also, like I said, would avoid the toxic feeling that I had when I was in my home, when it was just my mother and me. And so I would feel better when I was out with animals, wildlife, any stray creature that wandered near my family home was like instantly my best friend. And so I went from that into working with wildlife and I always had this parallel and always had a fascination with horses. And so as I continued those studies, it seemed like they were separate. I got the opportunity to put them together or realize that there was such a thing as equine assisted therapy. Well, that was really cool. And then I discovered that I didn't have to be a therapist in order to help people. And I already had a community of professionals. And so I, you know, I discovered equine assisted coaching, which is literally a very, very natural way to show you how you're showing up in the world. Great thing about horses is that they, they will show you how you are right now. They only live in the moment. Mm -hmm. We tend to live in our story more than anything. Yes. We live in the past. So while auditing, as we were just saying, going back and auditing and looking at the good things is great. Just don't live there. Um, so that if you want to really be present, which we are so infrequently, because we, we wake up and the first thing we do is we go somewhere else, right? Yes. yes. Most people have this, this is the first thing they touch in the morning because your alarm's on here. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, well, what's happening with this person? And I have a notification and there's a Facebook post and somebody just posted on my Instagram and, and then we're, we're gone. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not present anymore. And you have that when you're sitting at a table with someone and even just having a, a phone there, oh, they've yeah. shown actually disrupts the feeling of trust and connection with the person that you're sitting with. And so we've become very used to that. And I, I like to think that I'm a small piece of being able to shift that for at least a handful of people that I'm able to touch. And so when they come and they, they experience having to be right there and present and congruent and completely like at peace with who they are, even if they aren't who they want to be yet, mm-hmm. that's where they have to start. And that's where a horse will meet them. And so it's about building that relationship with this animal that only speaks present, you know, energy, body language, doesn't matter what you say. Like for us, we think we can talk our way out of, you know, things. <laughs> can't do that with a horse. You have to actually be who you need to be. Such an interesting concept. And they're such huge animals. It's not like working with a dog or a cat or something like that. No, there's an intimidation factor there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens when you fail with a horse? That's just it. You you don't, I would say there's no such thing as failure. There's no such thing as wrong. Mm -hmm. You just try again. So if somebody says, I want to move this horse and, and, you know, get it to move off to the right. Okay. And a lot of these people, we do have some horse people that come through and I'm happy to see them because it totally changes the way they are with their horse that they're riding that they own. But a lot of the, most of the people that come through are not really horse savvy. I don't tell them how to move because when you meet some, they, they'll turn to me and they'll go, I don't know what horses like. <laughs> when you meet someone new, you don't know what they like. When you, when you, when you're working for someone new, you don't know much about them. You have to figure it out. So that means that you may start a conversation. It doesn't go that well. And then all of a sudden you bring up another topic and bam, you guys are connected and you're doing great. And that's the avenue that you go with that person. So if you're in sales, you know that you find out enough about the person and then you go, oh, here's an avenue that we can connect and we have some, you know, some, some, some synergy here. Mm-hmm. You have to find that synergy with the horse as well. And so they, they keep trying and I'll guide them when I'm prompted to, but when they find that avenue, when they find what works, then there's this great sense of elation and happiness. And wouldn't it be great if we can celebrate all of our healthy human relationships that way? Well, and then you let them discover this on their own. It's not you saying, this is what you must do. And I know you're so intuitive. 
that you know just exactly what to do, what not to do. And I don't know, you're tuned into the horses. I don't know, are you a horse whisperer? <laughs> you know, all a horse whisperer is, is somebody that if you are around animals and you work, even I saw this with the wildlife sanctuaries and the people that work with wildlife and the exotic animals. And if you are really in tune with those animals, you're on a different, very present, earthly, grounded, receiving platform. I mean, you don't have a choice. That's kind of where you stay. So I think that's really what horse whispering is. If you allow yourself to be in that relationship with them where they are and meet them there, which is what we should be doing with all of our relationships. When you meet them there, then yeah, there's a time when you think that's too vulnerable. I can't do that. Especially when I see men coming in and doing this work, it's sometimes difficult for them, but the rewards are amazing and it's the same with us. So um, I, I don't think there's anything magical about horse whispering. There's certainly, it feels like magic when you're doing this type of work, but it's based on science. It's based on neuroscience and psychology and, and um, various modalities, including biopsychology and even zoology comes into play. And so there's, there's a lot behind it that makes that work. You know, there's a lot about the way you feel that has to do literally with science but when you're in that very present state, when your mindset is right, you can receive that and you get the benefits of it, so. Yeah, I see that with my husband. He, he loves dogs and we don't have any now, but we've had dogs in the past. And several years ago, he was traveling for work and he stopped out in the middle of nowhere at a little convenience store, kind of a wide patch in the road. And he was getting out of his truck and a woman was coming by with a dog walking the other direction and the dog just took a beeline and went right over to Mike and Mike knelt down and started rubbing the dog's ears and that woman stood there in shock she says he doesn't like anybody else he never goes to anybody else what I can't believe this and Mike says oh dogs know dog people so I think there is something about that that we're yeah we tune into that kind of thing Definitely. It's there for us. That's what, that's what nature-based therapies are all about. You know, it's really understanding that the animals, the earth are here to, to help us. It helped me. Honestly, I truly think that I'm still alive because I had those things to go to when things were really, really bad when I was growing up. And, mm -hmm. um, and there were times that I thought, well, if I wasn't supposed to be born, then why am I even here? And then I'd walk out and my mind would just get lost into this natural world. And you know, I, I would, I would survive kind of the day with that. So I think people don't realize that it's there all the time. And it's so sad to me that nature deprivation disorder is literally something that's been entered in the psychology books. Really? All you have to do is step outside. Even if you're in the, when I lived in New York city, in fact, I was such a country girl. I found a walk up on the Upper West Side. It was a gorgeous apartment. I just, I really wasn't a city girl, but I liked it because it had these big windows. Most of them faced a brick wall, but in New York, that was still like a cool thing, right? Yeah. And it had a bal balcony. It was a fire escape. <laughs> fire escape. <laughs> but I lived out there because outside of that fire escape, there was a big old tree and a tiny, tiny, tiny courtyard down below with some greenery. And I would just sit out there and I would watch the pigeons and the birds and an occasional squirrel. And that was my salvation. Like when I had a spare moment and I was at home, that's where I went. And I can't imagine being completely separate from that. And yet people do it without even realizing it. They just kind of get into the modern way and they you know, live with their houses closed up, the windows in their cars mm -hmm. closed up when they drive to work, they're on the phone and they never take a moment to actually let the breeze hit them, look up at the sky and see the things that can really put us into a state of awe, which is a really positive and very focused state. And it's a great place to be. The work with the horses that I do puts people in that state kind of frequently, but you can reach that state as well. And it's just, um, it's a great centering. It's like a, a really quick meditation to find that sense of, of awe in things like the clouds, like an anthill, like a butterfly or a bee. And if you really get down and you look at it, it's just fascinating. I've got a girlfriend who has a very intense job and she was in, working in a government complex years ago very, very intense. And she would take her lunch hour, go to Home Depot and walk through the garden department. And oh, I love it. She'd look at the plants and touch the plants and just had to get out of that very, very intense yeah. environment and where she was center stage in a lot of things. And she'd just go, that, that was the only way she got to nature, but she did. Yeah. What a brilliant thing to do, right? 
it's self-medication in the yeah. most natural way. Yeah. And so, if you follow that, she just followed what was, yeah. what was inside. And we have to learn to trust that because she did what she needed to do. And I have um, had the opportunity for, to speak for some very different groups that I wouldn't be marketing to necessarily. And it's been a blessing because it's taught me so much. I have spoken to uh, essentially government employees. So people that choose the job and realize that their psycho psychology is they're choosing the job because it's secure. Mm -hmm. They're not choosing it because they're passionate about it. Right. They're not lit up about their work. Right. They're usually feeling overworked, exhausted. Mm -hmm. And when I came in to speak, I had this whole thing prepared and they took a lunch break and I was listening to them all talk. And I instantly, I'm back there like quickly changing my presentation. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. And I, I realized that one thing, even with them, when I heard them say, what are you doing for the summer? Where are you going on vacation? Most of them would say, oh my gosh, I just wanna, I wanna lay on the beach and drink a beer. Yeah. I want to lay on the beach and drink a beer. And that was repeated pretty much by most of them when the question was asked. And I just want to go to the beach and lay there. Well, what they're saying, what their subconscious is telling them to envision is exactly what they need to do. Literally lay on the ground with this, with the sense of the earth and the sound, that repetitive med medicating kind of sound of the ocean. Now the beer is just something that they're probably used to go into anyway. Right but their body was telling them exactly what they needed. They need that connection. They we all do. To, to get in touch with yeah. Mother Earth, right? We all do. Yeah. yeah. That's it. What a wonderful, I, and I know when I'm doing interviews all day, I'll go out in the backyard and I'll walk around, you know, lovely backyard. And this time of year, everything's blooming and it's wonderful. Yes. And I'll just take five minutes and walk around and just look at everything. Yeah. But, you know, after being inside doing interview after interview some days, I've got to get out. Yeah. You feel like your head starts to get like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> turn off the lights. Let's get back to student sunlight. Yes. Exactly. Little vitamin D. Yeah. Well, and some of these things you're talking about sound pretty risky for people. You know, if they're in the corporate job and they're not really happy, right. moving out of that, being willing to take risks. What do you yeah. have to say to us about taking risks and how to do that? Why to do that? Well, again, I refer, you know, to my husband because people ask him all the time, oh, you're a daredevil because he's a stuntman. Yeah. And he said, no, no, no. He says, daredevils, you know, it's a totally different thing. He says, as a stuntman, we realize what the risk is. We, we analyze it mm -hmm. and then we build the safest way to get through it. Mm. So they're still taking it. But I think that's, that's the thing that is important. You don't want to get stuck in analysis paralysis because I've certainly done that. I mean, it's taken me a year to start my podcast. I swear <laughs> it's, it's happening. Uh, I've got the recordings and everything. I got the music. I got, I got the artwork. <laughs> I'm getting closer. But I did that. I sat in and I, I analyzed for a long time. And it's, it's one thing to do that. And I would say, you know, to be safe in a way, safe as you can, but still take that risk, take that jump. Don't stay stuck in analysis paralysis. And what the only thing that would keep you from really taking that that leap forward is is fear so it's good to label it figure out where it's coming from and a lot of times it's a voice that's talking to you that isn't yours mm, like mothers yeah 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 exactly you're not good enough to do this yes who do you think you are yeah who do you think you are who do you think you are nobody's going to listen to you you don't have enough education, community, connections, you know, there's a thousand things that you don't have enough education. And you stop and you think, whose voice is that? I guarantee it's not God's voice. Because if you're being pulled to something, you're already prepared to do it. Well, and I have a coach who turned that around for me because I do a lot of that, the imposter syndrome. It's like, who am I? You know, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not the other. And his comment was, who are you to deny your gift to the world? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. And, and I still remember that. It's like, whoa, that, that just changed my thinking. It's like, okay, I'm <laughs> doing this. Right? Yeah. Right? If, you know, my Les Brown always says, you don't want to be, you, you don't want to be, you know, on your final hours and look back at all the gifts that you didn't open. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to taking risk, I look at that and think, what if there's a gift on the other side? Uh, what is that gift? You know, 
and sometimes I've taken risks that haven't gone so good. We all have. And they go, all right, check. <laughs> so then what? How do you deal with that? Lesson learned. Um, you know, it's funny. There's usually, after that, there's usually something that ends up on my success board at some point. <laughs> it's an adjustment. Yeah. You know, it's, you go, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? Mm-hmm. And, and, and usually it's because I followed someone else's thinking of what I should do. Mm-hmm. And I overrode what was talking in here because, you know, I, and I, a lot of times I'll be swayed by something that I think I need and somebody has it. So I'll go, well, I need to be like that person. I need to do what they're doing because they're making X amount of dollars per month. And, and that would be really good for me right now. So I'm going to do what they're doing. And it's not in alignment at all with how I work. One of the women I interviewed is a neuroscientist. Actually, she went back to school at the age of 50 to get a degree in neuroscience. Awesome. But she, she looks at, she talks about failure just as being feedback. And she says what she says to herself is, I don't have the skills to do that yet. <laughs> so yeah. like you're saying, analyze it. What's it telling? Are you going the wrong direction? Do you need more whatever, more right. help, more skills? Yeah. What do you need to accomplish that? And yeah. she even looked at a failed marriage that way. She says, I didn't have the skills that I needed at the time to make that marriage work. Right. Now she's in one that's working. So, yeah. Feedback. You know, I think it, one of the things that helps me to forgive people in situations and myself a lot is a belief that people do the best that they can with what they're given at the time. Mm-hmm. Even my mother. Yes. Um, she didn't have a lot mm-hmm. um, as far as understanding emotions. Her brain didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And the more I learn about how she saw the world, the easier it is for me. Mm-hmm. And I have to honestly look at that and forgive her for, and it's a daily process sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure. But you go back to the people that have, that have hurt you and say, you know, the crazy thing is they did the best with what they had at the time. As awful as that behavior may have been, mm-hmm. or as bad as any situation you could have gotten yourself into, it was the best that you could do at the time. So maybe you didn't make good choices, but it was the best you could do at the time. Yeah. And then it's the best that you could do at the time and learn from that and do better next time. Right. You know, if we learn from those mistakes, then we grow. If we yes. don't, we're kind of stuck in that, yeah. that cycle. And, and that, that, that period that maybe you feel that you made the mistakes or things didn't go very well and, and, or even somebody was holding you back and, and not treating you well, those are all pieces of the mess that can become your message. So there's a blessing in all of that. And I didn't really get, you know, it was funny because I was so afraid to even look at my past that when I started to think about becoming a speaker, I, I showed up at a kind of a speaker lab and they, all went around and in my typical fashion at that time, I didn't say anything. I wanted to be the last. I could sit in the back row and I kind of feel what the room was like before I stepped into it, right? And I listened to everybody tell their quick story about their life. And I thought, well, I don't have anything that's that dramatic. And I got up and walked out. I didn't think I had anything of value. Oh, and that was the programming from being a child too. Yes, you're not worthy of doing this. And yet I look back and go, oh my gosh, that very... That very person that told me I wasn't worthy is the one that gave me so much juicy stuff that will help me to connect with people now and shake them out of the crap that they're believing because that's not who they are. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful that I was born to this extremely cold individual, as hard as it is for me to look at and go, I can't believe I came through that. And maybe some people can relate to that. But I had the balance of a, a very loving father who was on his own journey and although you know, my parents were still together, they were never actually together. I never saw a loving relationship between them. And so I had to learn that too. Mm-hmm. I failed at that. Anybody <laughs> out there failed at that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Until you get it right. And you go, oh, but you did the best that you could do at the time. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Because yeah. as I remember getting married at the ripe old age of 20, knowing nothing except the family I grew up in. And my parents owned businesses. They worked together. They had different jobs, roles in the household. My dad didn't cook, but they worked together on things. And I never saw her waiting on him, that kind of thing. You know, they worked together and they both took care of my sister and me. And then I married a man who 
expected to be waited on and expected the little woman to do everything else. But I didn't know the difference. You know, right. I had a model from my family, and then this was the model in his family, and the two just did not meet. <laughs> so well, that was that was a learning curve. <laughs> so it was a, a wake-up call. It's like, okay, yes. now I know what I didn't know <laughs> before I jumped into that. But so, it helps you when you're working with people. It helps you understand yeah. that mentality when you're working with them if they came from that. Now you know. Well, and now I know that when I married my husband 44 years ago, that okay, he, he's the one, you know, we, we have similar values. And what's so interesting is we only dated for three months before we got married. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> My parents had met him twice. And, and 44 years later, we have a yeah. great relationship, but he's independent and he carries his load and he doesn't expect me to do things. I don't even iron for him. If you want something ironed, he irons it. My husband irons better than I do. So <laughs> he, he, his, his side of our of the closet actually looks like the gap, like everything is perfectly folded and mine goes in and out between being able to stand in it. And, and, you know, <laughs> it's just like, I, I, sometimes when I get it all cleaned up, I go, look at me, good for me. And that lasts about three days. Yeah. So, yeah. Then I'm back to recognizing from those quote failures. I look at that as a learning experience. I, I might have gotten into a marriage that wasn't quite that bad and thought I had to stay there. You know, yep. this one was, and it wasn't bad in other regards, mostly around who he thought I was supposed to be and who he thought he was. Right. Roles, your identity Roles. within it. But it helped me find a marriage that is just exactly what I need and exactly yeah. what I want. And 44 years later, we're still at it. So he, so your identity is, is, intact with what you're doing yeah. it's interesting that word identity isn't it because oh, yeah. when you talk about pushing the limits i think it's who you identify being and i think when somebody said something to me and i've had i've had people that i barely know say things to me throughout my life that made me stand back and go really hmm. and and then i would look at it and go and i mean there were the bullies which said the bad things but I'm talking about somebody that would say, you know, I noticed that you do this, or you've got so much fire, or, you know, and, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? And then I would think about it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's me. And where somebody goes, you just don't stop, do you? Hmm. And I don't get that all the time. But when I did get it, I realized, yeah, I don't, because that's when I wasn't resting and I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And the good side of that is what I saw first. It was like, oh, I'm capable of that. I'm capable of continuing to go. That's something interesting about me. And I identified with that. So every once in a while, somebody may throw something out at you that kind of like strikes you and you go, well, let me put that on for a second. Yeah. That's yeah. Perfect. I'll take that, you know? And, and our identities change as, you know, as we get older and as we go through experiences. But I think if you're pushing a limit, that's one thing you can look at. Your values form your identity and is what you're moving into in alignment with how you identify with yourself, not what you do, not the color of your hair, or who, you know, it's who you are, like, you know, in the depths of your soul, who do you really feel like you are? Mm -hmm. who, what is that identity? And if you're pushing some sort of limit, is it going to support that identity? Does your identity support that? Well, and claim that, claim who you are and, and what, what your values are. Like you're saying, yes. not what you do necessarily, but, Claim the, that deep piece of you, who you are, what your purpose is. Yes. Why are you doing what you're doing? Yes. So let's, let's ask you that question. What motivates you? What keeps you going? What flips your switch? Uh, and this is something that I, I think about and I, I like to write on all the time. And I think I, I kind of came down to, you know, everything that I have done, has really, that has lit me up the most, my aha moments, I guess you could say, throughout my life have been things that have helped people move from where they are to where they're designed to be. Mm. So I could say, I help people break through things. I could help it. No, it's like everything that I've done, even when I, I was acting, the one reason that I left acting was I didn't feel like it had a direct effect. I had an effect because it gave me a platform that I was able to use when I finally learned to find my voice and use it, it gave me a platform of recognition and it still does. You know, when I, 
throw out the the shows that I was on. Inevitably, somebody watched one of them and they go, oh my gosh, you know? And um, so there's some power in that. It opens doors and I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated working directly with people and helping them mm-hmm. literally find their voice and be able to tap into what they are designed to do and and see that impact in the world, which meant so much more to me than what I was able to do every so once in a while, you know, when I was acting. Um, so on a daily basis, it makes me much more happy to do that. So even, you know, during, during times when somebody says, would you come and speak for free? I, I don't say no. I go, who am I speaking to? Is it going to be something that's going to actually change people's lives? I love to speak to young people. I'll do that for free hmm. because I needed somebody to speak that into me. Yeah. With, you know, when I was young and, and not a lot of people did, or maybe I just wasn't available to hear it. So I needed it more. What was it like to... I don't know if you've completely given up acting, um, but to step away from those starring roles, those huge TV shows, what was that like? The weird thing, and this is going to be totally brutally honest. Um, so? In the beginning, I was so uncomfortable with fans walking up to me because I didn't think I was worthy, right? That whole thing. The reason that I actually teach to help people find their voice and to find their strength and communicate in the most natural, authentic way is and I use the term charisma, right? But it really comes down to the fact that I had none of that. I wanted to be told what to do, how to be, and I would delve into that character and I felt safe there. And people would say, good job, and I'd get a paycheck. And that validated me. Mm. And when I would go somewhere else and they would like maybe to host something or I'd be interviewed and they would say, oh, sweetie, just be yourself. I literally blacked out once when someone handed me a microphone and said that. Really? I had nothing in that file, nothing. You didn't know who you were? No. So I would actually run away from fans. They would be waiting outside. This is horrible to admit, because I realized how awful it was. They'd be waiting outside the studio to see us, to see me as part of the cast when we walked out. And they would want to have pictures and autographs. And I would sneak out the back because I was too afraid that they would see that I wasn't anything special. Wow. And so that was uncomfortable. And then I became comfortable with it. And I actually had a celebrity do something very kind to me. I'd gone to see her in a Broadway show. And um, because I was in the industry, I, I found myself after the show sitting at a table next to her at a cafe. And she noticed that I, she assumed, I guess, that I had purchased the poster from the show when actually had been given to me by somebody that was a fan that she gestured, and I didn't notice that somebody at her table had taken the poster and she signed it and she handed it back. Oh, wow. And I looked and I went, that was so kind. I should be like that. Oh. And, you know, I'm like, I want to be more like that. Hmm. So I had my own journey around that. And when I did finally get to the point where I, I felt that it was great, I love to have people come up and engage with them then I felt like that was such a wonderful thing. And then it goes away when you leave. Oh, when you're not a TV When star. you're not in front of, when you're not in their, you know, their house every day or once a week on a show, they don't recognize you all that much anymore. <laughs> and there was an element of like, wait a minute, I finally started to appreciate that. And where did it go? <laughs> okay. So there was that little piece where I had to find my identity without that. All over again. All over again. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like somebody gets divorced. They go, well, I'm not a wife anymore. Yeah. Well, who am I? And, and that'll take the foundation out from underneath you when you have a transition like that and you have to change your identity. What's the label that you had? I no longer had that label of, of being an actor. And yes, I have stepped away from it. And the reason is, yeah, I feel better doing the work that I'm doing. And I've had I still get offers and I won't say never. I love the art of it, the lifestyle of it. I don't miss the paychecks. Some of them I miss, <laughs> not gonna lie. Uh, but the lifestyle was hard. You know, my Facebook live this morning, I shared that even when I was doing daytime soaps and most of those, and I had some of the soap, my soap friends actually pop on the Facebook live for the first oh, time yeah. ever. That was really crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, so they knew, you know, that I was telling the truth. We would start at 6.30 in the morning, 7 in the morning. And if I was done by 7 p.m., that was a short day. Mm. And so they're long days. I mean, you're working in film, you're working in television as a regular, a career, you know, regular actor, as a regular 
producer as a regular stunt coordinator like my husband those days are long it's hard it's not an easy way to make a living and it's up and down and there's a lot to it that um nothing yeah coaching is so solid <laughs> that's the same you know i mean it's there's things that happen that are good and things that i'm like oh that that launch didn't work moving on you know i mean there's definitely things that that are up and down that are very similar i haven't really gone into total financial security and know where everything's coming from, but I'm trying. But there's definitely something that, um, that I feel healed in me that I don't need the acting anymore. So that's the good, the good and bad. Well, what's, what's your driving force that keeps you going? That's taken you through all these things from a child who was told that world would be better if she weren't there to, to the acting, to leaving the acting, to forming your coaching programs, the consulting. What is it that drives you through all of that to, to keep you going? Every time that I see somebody accept themselves or recognize or reacquaint themselves with a gift that they've been given mm-hmm. and feel inspired to move forward with it, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I'll work for free if I can see that. In fact, I have worked for free in the past. When I first started working, I was working for someone else as a coach and she ran out of money in the business. It wasn't going well. And I was going down and working for free with the clients because I didn't want to leave them hanging. Oh, so that's so an that's indication crazy. that you're doing the, you know, you're in the right realm if you want to do it for free. But I think it's that because I realized I can look back at people where I'm from that are still living the same way. Mm-hmm. They're living their parents' lives. Mm-hmm. They're living their grandparents' lives. They haven't made any choices that are specifically theirs. They're just kind of living day to day and letting life happen to them as opposed to creating a life and mm-hmm. using what they, opening up the gifts that they've been given. And if I can help people kind of turn and see that Life can be very rich and rewarding if you use those gifts. It can be a little scary at times, like pushing the limits is what you're talking about, right? Yes. It, it can definitely be scary. And um, I've certainly had those many times, even as an entrepreneur, where, and, and I'll ask some of the most successful, you know, impressive women that are entrepreneurs, I'll say, did you ever want to quit? And inevitably they laugh. They're like, yeah, a, a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like yesterday when I was crumpled on the floor of my office crying, you know, I mean, today we go on, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had one woman that told me she's very successful in real estate. This was years ago. And she told this story of how at one point she started essentially a department store. And one day all of her employees quit. Nobody showed up for work. Okay. And she hid down behind, she had to open up the door. So she hid down underneath the register and cried because I gave myself 11 minutes I said why why 11 minutes she goes I don't know I gave myself 11 minutes and then knew I had to do something to open the door so she called her mother or mother-in-law or somebody to come down and and the two of them opened up the store and to this day that sticks in my mind and she says I give myself 11 minutes for a pity party and that's all there is (laughs) and then you do what you need to do and then you do what you need to do go on you've got your values your integrity and you do it and you you do it you push the limit to whatever you can do that day. And yeah. yeah. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned in your life that you want our audience to hear? You are not who people say you are. Mm. That's the good and the bad. So I've had the bad from my mother that said horrible things over me um, up to the last time I saw her, in fact. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had the good which, you know, when you have adoring fans, it's a great feeling. But you don't really want to listen to all that and think that that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Your identity comes from, from God. It comes from your design, who you're supposed to be, what is inside of you. And it's really up to you to figure that out. Don't listen to what other people say because that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Beautiful lesson. And tune into yourself. And I know you keep talking about the design and you work with your clients around what their design is. You said capital D for the design piece. Yeah. You know, it's, to me, it's kind of like what our soul is. What, what's the play that we're here to live out? What's our purpose? What's our role in this? Yeah. How do we do that? 
And that's a scary question for a lot of people. I don't know if it ever scared you, but if somebody mm-hmm. says, well, you know, find your purpose, I would be so freaked out. Like, don't ask me that. I have no freaking clue what that is. Like, that's a big question, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you start to kind of like, you know, piece it, you know, piece it together and realize the aha moments and the things that made you who you are today. And then you start to realize, well, this lights me up. And that's one of the first things I ask people is like, what lights you up? Mm-hmm. And it could be something totally not related to what their message is or whatever I'm working on with them. Like what lights you up? And, and when I discover it, I go, Oh, there's a lot more to you than you're putting forth. So let's go there. Yeah. You know, and then we see this freedom of expression and we see the, the ability of, of them to actually take a breath and, and live in who they are and live in the moment and be okay with where they are and who they are. What surprises you about your life? <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> There's more than one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, when I was a kid, I always wanted to have a pony. At the age of 49, I got a pony. So <laughs> it took me a while. Uh, but, uh, dreams do come true. I guess I always wanted to, um, hence the vision board and the success board stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I always wanted to, um, to have horses and to live in the country. And I, that was always, ever since I was a little kid, my dad used to take me to a, a horse ranch cause he knew I loved it. So he would, whenever he had a moment, he would take me out there and have pictures of me out there. And I remember the smell, this is funny. Smells are very influential to us right they can bring back memories like nothing else sometimes and i remember the smell of the leather in the tack room mm. and now i have that and you love I it one of the young kids that i'm kind of apprenticing with the horsemanship and because i've started doing that too and i had a friend say are you charging for that and it never occurred to me so there may be a new thing on the horizon for me yes which is helping young riders actually understand the animal that they're getting on so how they think and understanding herd behavior and showing them, you know, the process of how to build a relationship with that horse, which is what I'm doing with the professional people and um, making them better, safer riders. And so I had a young guy follow me into the tack room and he, he said that he goes, there's something great about the smell of leather. Yes. And yes. it took me right back to being a kid. And now I have that, you know, so. So yeah. your dream has come true. From, yeah, from yeah, age. yeah, and yes, at the ripe old age, <laughs> I'm still acquiring things that I wanted. If that Barbie camper ever comes into my life, I'll be really happy about that. That's funny. My husband wants an RV at one point. I'm still not quite on board for that, but when we do get it, I'll be like, "Dang it! I finally got my Barbie camper." <laughs> <laughs> and how are you going to decorate that? <laughs> In pinks and purples with little stars. I don't know. There you go. He gets his dark office, you get the Barbie camper, you can do whatever you want with it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. When, when my sister and I were growing up, she was the one who wanted the horses. She was just horse crazy, horse crazy, and watched all the Westerns and um, what Dale Evans and Roy Rogers and all these. Oh, yeah. Lone Ranger. And when she was five years old, my parents bought her a, a Shetland pony. But it was just such a, a cool thing to be around those animals, just yeah. amazing animals. So Yeah, they are. There's definitely something, like when I say when I'm working, that, I, and I still say this, the more, I definitely want to master what I'm doing in that world as far as a, the coaching and, and you know, all the emotional regulation and all that. I'm studying that, I'm involved in it, I'm watching the, you know, learning more every day about communication, spe- interspecies communication. I'm stupidly obsessed about the topic. I'll keep learning, but no matter how much I learn, I think I will continue to say that in the process itself, the horse does way more than I do. I just facilitate. Like, you know, God speaks through that horse to the individual that's in the pen that they have chosen to partner with. And, and I, I really am the least of it. And I think that's a good thing. Well, but that's the beauty of, of being such an excellent coach is you know when to get out of the way. You know mm-hmm. when to facilitate it and when to let things happen and not try to control them or try to make them happen the way you think they should happen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Let it evolve as it's supposed to evolve. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, I know. I'm very fortunate. I never, I think that's probably, you know, that's probably the biggest surprise is that growing up, I didn't have a voice at all. Mm -hmm. And now I'm such the opposite. You know, I speak up for what I, what I believe in and I let, I encourage other people to speak up for what they believe in. And I think that's probably the biggest surprise is that, 
I'm not shriveled up in a corner somewhere, you know, being quiet my whole life. So uh, I'm an introvert and yet I'm, I'm an international speaker and you can throw me in front of a crowd of thousands and I wouldn't really be, I'd be excited, but I wouldn't be terrified of it. I think that's a huge surprise to me. Interesting. Yeah. So, so the beginnings mold you in a certain way, but they don't claim your identity for the rest of your life, do they? Oh, no. Uh -uh. Who you are today does not, absolutely not. How about some tips for women about how to push the limits? Let's, I don't know, have you got four or five tips? Well, gosh, um, let me see what I came up with. I mean, first, we've kind of said that is yeah. know your values and part of your identity. What do you identify as? And be careful that it's not a title, that it's not, I'm a boss, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. That's a piece of it, mm -hmm. um, but it's not all of it. So who are you really? What drives you? What do people love about you? Most people don't know that. That would probably be the second thing. Know what people love about you. And there's different ways of doing that. You know, you can go ask, write, ask the people that you work with and that you live with, pick 20 of them. I actually had a client do this. I said, get 10 people. This was her homework, get 10 people and ask them to describe you in two words. And I want you to write it down and bring it back to me. And she said, family, work. I said, just family and work, friends, whatever. Just ask them to describe you in two words. And she came back. She's like, I asked 25 people. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Overachiever. Yes, yes. But but it was good because she said she was surprised how so many of those words that they repeated that came up over and over again were things that she just took for granted about herself but didn't realize that that's something that they identified as being a stronghold, being a strong quality in her that they admired. She had no idea that that was part of it. Um, I do uh, branding with archetypes work. It's personal branding and that does that. It kind of shows people what other people love about you and it validates. And you and I were talking about that word validation. I think at one point, it's very important for people to feel that sometimes. And, and this particular exercise does that. Whether it's a personal branding assessment or just ask people, what are two words that describe me? And, and be ready because some of them may surprise you, but that is, that is part of your identity. And and be aware of that and give yourself, we talked about giving yourself that audit for the things that you did, look back at the aha moments in your life and um, really go through that and think, what did I do in order to make those moments happen? How did I feel about it before, during and after? And realize that there's a theme there of something that you were able to do or push through and are you currently living that? What is it that lights you up? What were you doing when you were six years old? It's probably the fourth one, right? What were you doing when you were six years old that lit you up? And you can look back and say, all right, let's just give you an example. Like somebody would say to me, um, I was riding my bike. Like, okay, were you riding it alone? And they may say, no, no, I was riding with a bunch of my friends. Did you organize the ride or did somebody else? No, I organized it. <laughs> oh, okay. And I would plan where we were going to go. Okay. okay. So you start to see, oh, from the very beginning. And I said, so what are you doing now that is like that? And they would stop and they'd go, well, I'm running a business. You know, they would draw the correlations. And sometimes there would be no correlation. So perhaps they were, their memory of a child was getting a group together and telling everybody what to do in order to accomplish the play in the backyard. And they were the director. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to be, a, they become a failing serial entrepreneur mm. because they're trying to do everything in the play themselves and they get bored and they walk away. And a woman came to me, she goes, I don't know why I'm doing this. And we did this little exercise and I said, because that's not who you are. You're the person that puts the people together in the play and makes the play happen. How that's who you are. Yeah. yeah. So what were you doing when you were six years old? I had a woman say to me, she loved to sing. And I said, are you currently singing? And she actually started crying. She's like, no. I said, you need to find a way to do that. Mm -hmm. That's who you are. And even if you do it on the side, maybe you have a J-O-B, that's who you have. You have to express in the way that you were designed. So what is that? Yeah. So I, I think those are, oh, and get out to nature for, for heaven's sake. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's that, that. Keep yourself grounded in, in what, is, what is available to you in the natural world, whatever that means. If you're a hiker, great, you understand this. If you, if you have animals and you have a dog that you walk, you may understand it. Um, but if you're feeling pent up and anxious and you're relying on things to help you go to sleep, things meaning 
pills, alcohol to go to sleep and something else to wake you up. And, you know, maybe there's a better way. Mm -hmm. So seek the more, seek the things that are available and usually free. You may find that you feel better. Feel, feel much better that way. And yeah, yeah. Tune into nature. I love that one. I'm glad we didn't leave that one out. Right. Exactly. I listened to Dr. Amen today on one of his Facebook lives and I had the privilege of interviewing him a few years ago behind the scenes at the California women's conference. And it was funny. My, my crew was laughing at me. They're like, you have all these celebrities that you're interviewing today and you're starstruck by him. I mean, he, he's tiny, but he's so brilliant. You know, he has the number one, I think still to this point, it's the number one PBS special, number one rated. I mean, the most oh, really? sought after PBS special about the brain. And he was talking about the fact that you need to have that time in nature. You do need to be able to, to decompress and it's up to you to be able to do that, you know, and recognize when you're getting too anxious and there's only one brain that you have. You want to be able to take care of it. So. And get um, creative about ways to do that. Yes. Like you with your balcony in New York. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> my balcony, escape. my fire escape. <laughs> I even put a plant out there, which I think was illegal, but <laughs> I didn't get caught. Well, Sandra, we've had such a great time here today, and I know our listeners are enjoying this too. I'm going to ask you for your contact information in a minute, but before we do that, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I think I have. Did I offer you guys a little free something or other? I think I had something planned for you. Did I not? We haven't heard that yet, but I know we'd love to hear that. Oh, okay. So let me see. I, I think um, there was something that, I, that I've created called Awe Inspirations. I think that would be a good place to start. Um, I mentioned earlier in our conversation this the um, the emotion of awe, A-W-E, and it's something we haven't been really studying all that much until recently. Positive emotions, which are productive emotions, and moving forward, you want to be in a positive state of mind, they tend to be very energizing. So you think joy, happiness, it makes you want to jump up and down. Awe is actually very focusing, and it's, a, it's an emotion that pops up when I'm working with the horses a lot. And if I can't send you a horse, I can at least send you these prompts for daily recognition of things that are, you know, can put you into that state of awe every single day. So it only takes about five minutes or less, and these prompts will show you how you can use them every day to tap into that state of awe and kind of center yourself, focus yourself, calm yourself, and be in a state of positive productivity without being hyper. So That's wonderful. What a yeah. gift. What it's a very gift. cool. It's very cool. So I'd be happy to share this. It's a really simple, easy thing to be able to flip through and, and, and use. And I'd love to know if it works for people. I, I think it does. I've heard good things. So yeah. So how happy do we tap into that gift? That I'll give you a link to that too, but it's sandradrobinson.com forward slash awe inspirations. And that wonderful. will take you right there. Yeah. That is wonderful. And so they can sign up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's free. I don't even think I require uh, an email in order to get it. I don't know. Maybe I do. I have to check how they set it up, but I, if I do, it's free nonetheless. So wonderful. Yeah. I'm going to sign up for that as soon as we finish this interview. Thank you so much. Thank Liz. you. Well, tell people how they can contact you and anything about oh, yeah. the programs that you want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, SandraDRobinson.com, my website. Of course, you can always find me there. If you Google me, you'll see all the social media links. Please follow me. Um, Facebook, I've got my Facebook groups there. You can find Elevate, which is open to anyone. You just have to ask to join. It's called Sandra D. Robinson's Elevate. That's on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, doing even better at being consistent on Instagram. Uh, and of course, LinkedIn. You know, if you're in the business world, LinkedIn, and now LinkedIn is using a lot more fun things like video. So it's not as stiff and boring as it used to be. So I'm actually on LinkedIn quite a bit too. I'm not doing the TikTok yet, but who knows? Maybe. Well, maybe. 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 I'll push my limits of comfort and, <laughs> and, and do that. Yeah. I'm just pushing but, to try and get on Instagram once in a while. <laughs> well, Sandra, any, anything else? So we've got SandraDRobinson.com. We can find you there, find you on social yeah. media. Find me on social media and you'll see, I'll, I'll put out um, freebies and courses and things throughout there. I mean, I'm constantly doing something new, reinventing now. We're doing the podcast, which is going to be launching soon. So there'll be another way that you can connect and learn. And I'm, I'm really all about um, being able to help people find whatever tool it's going to be to help them move forward. So if that means that they come to Austin and they do an equine assisted coaching retreat, that's fine. If you uh, 
I, I have clients all over the world that I help as far as getting comfortable with their voice and moving into speaking, or even if they're already speaking, they want to work a new conference and they want to have, you know, really working that stage and making it knock out of, knock them, knock it everything out, of, knock everything out of the park. That's the kind of thing that I love to do too. So wherever you are, um, taking that next step and pushing your limit, if I can do something to help you do it, then I'll gladly do that. Thank you so much. You have so much to offer with your acting ability and then your coaching and your intuitiveness and your um, lovely personality. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. You've been listening to Sandra D. Robinson, an actor, coach, equine assisted therapist, an amazing, amazing person all around. Thank you. You've been listening to Women Who Push the Limits, and I'm Lynn Murphy, your host. If you've enjoyed this today, please subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. And I know there are people who want to hear what Sandra's shared with us today. So share this out. Do your friends a favor and help them connect with Sandra D. Robinson. So thank you for joining us today. And one thing to remember as we go, you find your limits by pushing them. So keep pushing. Thank you for tuning in today. Please like, subscribe, write a review, and tell your friends and family about this podcast. Don't be shy about sharing this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. And if you want more information about this podcast and about this amazing project, go to womenwhopushthelimits.com. That's womenwhopushthelimits.com. Tune in next time for another amazing interview with an inspiring woman who truly pushes the limits.